Here are the highlights from the latest episode of Free Talk Live. Visit freetalklive.com for the full episode. Here tonight, it's Ian and Mark. And I want to say a special thanks to my son, Jack, for giving me a new neurosis. Also that and the, uh, the big fire up in uh, Canada, because air quality has been an issue. Really? Now, Mexico, yeah, Mexico City isn't known for the greatest air quality in the world. But wait, wasn't it a volcano that was causing the problem in Mexico City? You're right. Maybe I should. Uh, I've, I've been looking at air quality across the United States here t- just mm-hmm. in the last few a uh, couple of hours. And uh, honestly, it's terrible um, in the U.S. too. But yes, there is a volcano in Mexico that's not doing so nice. But bad air quality is stretching all the way down to Georgia. Um, even from our Canada? hometown. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, I can't really tell you, but our hometown of Sarasota is mm-hmm. sitting at a moderate 53 right now um, as far as air quality goes. 100 Places- being the worst or best? Hundred is uh, bad. Okay, and that's... Zero, zero is good. Good. Okay, got it. But uh, let's say Riverside, Tennessee, is at one hundred and forty-two. Whoa. Okay, it goes higher um, than that. Okay, I didn't know yeah. that. Um, United Avenue. Where do you get this? Like weather dot com. Who's who's got this info? Well, that's a good, very good question because the mm-hmm. numbers change depending on the website you get it from. I like uh, this one. It's waqi.info, and it'll give mm-hmm. you it from around the world. It takes all the information, pulls it all together. I wouldn't trust it but um, to be the, the full source, but I— If you pronounce the website, it's wacky. Yeah, wacky. <laughs> it's wacky. World's Air Pollution Real-time air quality Real index. Real air quality index. Okay, or world air quality index. Got it, got yeah. it. And um, basically all of the Northeast, it's not so bad where you are in New Hampshire. It's, you've managed mm-hmm. to sort of dodge it. Um, I mean, you're just moderate now, but yeah, there's some places that are pretty awful in the U.S. And um, down in Mexico, I'm presuming that there's some effect from the wildfires but maybe it's all volcanoes because it's all central around centered around mexico city where the air quality is bad yeah they said something i've got uh, a new neurosis now okay they said something over i don't know if it was the weekend that we were supposed to get some you know fallout from smoke or whatever from the uh, the fires i didn't notice anything i'm not noticing anything right now yeah, I think that most people with uh, without health problems are going to not notice mm-hmm. anything in the moderate region. It's when it starts getting into the red that normal people will begin uh, experiencing gotcha. it. But I had a headache for like four days in Mexico City. And so what does your son have to do with this? I'm not really clear on that. He's uh, he's the one who brought up that it's probably the exhaust inside of a major city um, because, you know, he just... He, he likes to sow chaos. So. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I, I do want to talk about uh, Central America because Honduras is in the news. It's someplace you've been spending a lot of time over the last few years. We can get into that. But the big news, of course, of the day, I think uh, you know a lot of people are talking about it on social media at the moment. It's this Supreme Court decision that purportedly rejects affirmative action at colleges. Now, I say purportedly because that's the big headline. That's what everybody's saying. But uh, Jeremy Kaufman, who's with the Free State Project, posted an interesting tweet from someone called Kofivi Anon on Twitter, who says that uh, the court actually did not overturn affirmative action. 
in this particular case. And then they give an excerpt from the ruling, which was, what was it, like six to three, I think, or something like that? It was six to three, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you had something from Reason.com. I don't know yep. if you want to go through that, or I've got something from CNBC. I don't think that, um, right, It, I think it's the, the claim that Reason's making is is that they struck down affirmative action in college admissions. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Yeah, that's what they're saying here. That's Okay. That's what this is, supposedly. So, yeah, well, um, so in part, a Supreme Court ruling is, uh, it, it's the, the spirit of the law as well as the letter, right? Um, so if a lower court believes, if, if people generally believe that affirmative action in, is no longer acceptable in college admissions, they are going to ex- uh, act as though affirmative action is no longer acceptable in college admissions, right? Making decisions on who gets to go to your college based on race is racist. That is the definition of racism. Racism is choosing to do a thing based on race. Now, you can change the definition of race. Okay, go ahead. What's your definition? Uh, I mean, the definition of racism, obviously, it's being changed over time. But I think the sort of the classic definition is that you believe that someone is inferior based on their yep. race. You're right. I think that that is the uh, the first and primary. But if you're not letting somebody in your business, that's I mean, people are generally going to call that racist. right? Yeah. No, 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 no doubt about it. Yeah. So um, that's true with your school. Right. If, if yeah, you're treating making... someone differently as um, treating someone as uh, as an inferior is essentially an ex- extension of racism for sure. And here's what Harvard was doing. And this is simple racism. They were saying that if you are Asian by whatever their definition of Asian is, and I don't even think they should be able to ask this question, but that's fine. If you're Asian, your test score needs to be, and I think it was six, uh, 767 or something like that. I'm, that number I'm pulling out of my butt. Um, but it needed to be that. And that was in the mathematics portion of the SAT. But if you're black, your score only needs to be 731 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're white, it's somewhere in between. Now, that, to me, just reeks of racism. You know, the idea that somehow black people are inferior to Asian people and that um, black people need to boost up over Asian people in order to go to the University of Harvard or whatever the situation is, that's just full-on racism as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. Now, um, I thought about this today, and I thought, what are the implications? And I guess the answer is, I don't care. The implications I, of what? The implication of no longer being able to use race and, and part of college admissions. Okay. As far as I'm concerned, I'm fine with American schools, so long as these are Americans. I mean, uh, you know, if, if they want to say, well, we, we aren't accepting people from outside of the country, I think that's something different than racism. I think that's, you know, selection based on nationality and, and something else. And they should be able to make that decision being an American university. They should be able to do that. But making a decision based on the ethnicity of the individual, of the American applying for uh, college admission, I just think, well, you know, I think the nation will be better off if schools aren't able to make that particular decision. In Jack's case, um, I've been blessed with, you know, some money and Jack won't have to pay for a 
uh, have to pay for his own uh, college. So in his case, why not? What else is he going to do? I don't know. He could do something productive. He could. I mean, you know, if you've got how many many what are the percentages of 18 to 22 year olds that are productive Ian? Well, because they're in college, very, very low. I, mean, I know. And they're just they, partying. There's a reason they're in college, because that age group tends not to be productive. Um, this is what. Well, yeah, class, they were raised by a bunch of lazy people, parents, a bunch of lazy uh, boomer or Gen X or whatever parents who did a terrible job at inculcating an in entrepreneurial spirit into their kids. Let's so. presume that I've done a terrible job in inculcating <laughs> uh, entrepreneurial spirit in my uh, son, Jack, at age 15. What am I going to do with it? Do about it now? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly not too late. Nothing. I mean, at 15, it's not too late. Well, um, I think that the best way to, uh, to institute entrepreneurial spirit in my son would be to take him to Tanzania and drop him off with nothing and tell him, work your way back to the United <laughs> States. Good luck. You know, and I'm uh-huh. just not willing to do it. I you see. know, the chances, the chances of communicable diseases are too high. And, um, you know, I, I just don't, I'm, I'm not into it. Is he into it? Is he into going to college? If a young person hears us mm-hmm. and realizes um, he's into video games, Ian. <laughs> he's 15 years old. He's not thinking about, like, I'm lucky when he brushes his teeth, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Foresight isn't the strongest suit of this particular demographic. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the problems of the um, psychographic that likes to give advice to those of us with kids is they often a don't have them and b have lots of strong opinions about how to raise them. Well, I mean, I've actually got in the news here today a story from the Washington Post about a mom who actually apparently is in Alabama uh, who set up a lemonade stand and offered quote unquote jobs to you know small children six uh, six to ten years old. And, uh, you know, learning entrepreneurialism, essentially. And the government, of course, came after her for that. So, so, I mean, there's a whole lot in society that pushes down the entrepreneurial spirit. It pushes down opportunities that kids would have to uh, to go to work early. Somebody who's 15 should already have some idea of what it is that they are interested in doing in life. But if all they've been able to do by government mandate is is sit around and play video games, you know, until they're oh. until they finally are able to move out of their house, then no wonder we've got a generation full of useless teens and 20 and 20 somethings. I mean, it's are you really familiar sad. With the Montes- Montessori schools. Are you familiar with those? Um, I, I don't know if I'm intimately familiar with them. No. So each of them um, that I've heard of has a entrepreneurial aspect and asks kids as low as fourth grade. And I don't know what age that is, but I think mm-hmm. it's about 10. Um, Ask 10-year-olds to sell food at the bake sale, to perhaps generate some things that might be for sale at the little, uh, you know, the, the table and things like that. Yeah. And ever and I was sending Jack to a uh, Montessori school for several years. And every morning, there's coffee and pastries essentially set up to pay you know ridiculously high prices for um (laughs) and that money is split between is basically you know goes to the school and then to the kids stuff that they're doing so for instance uh jack goes on a little trip uh went on a trip every year 
He's not going to that school this next year, but uh, nonetheless, um, went on a trip every year. And, you know, so there's entrepreneurial stuff being taught out there. We got Renee on the line in Louisiana. Go ahead, Renee. Okay, my topic is, and they had legal expert, my topic is, if you are defending yourself and it goes south against wildlife or a dog, how much trouble can you get, especially endangered species, if, if you have to defend yourself? Because where I live at, and I go pick trash in my trash truck, there are bears. Wow. And bears can be dangerous sometimes. Mm-hmm. If you If you take out a bear... But you have to defend yourself or your dog. I mean, would it? I mean, how dynamic would that be? Because if it's my dog, I love my dog more than some stray bear. You know, if I had to defend myself or somebody else, how much trouble can I get? Well, uh, I can't tell you life? what the law is there in Louisiana. I mean, this would be a question. Or the U.S. <laughs> yeah, I, it's probably different by the state. Would be my guess. Um, I don't know, you know, what federal rules would apply, a but black, a black bear is listed as least concern mm-hmm. concern. Um, well, I know that here in New Hampshire, I did hear recently because there was actually a free stater whose wife uh, killed a bear and then apparently subsequently killed another bear, which is amazing. Uh, and there was some question about, well, is this even legal? I mean, can you just go out and, and hunt bears? And apparently, yeah, you can. I don't know if it's certain times of the year or what the, the rules are surrounding that. I heard a rumor that you can only kill one bear, not two. Uh, but again, it just all depends on the uh, the state and the various different rules that they have. If you're out in the middle of the woods and a bear attacks you and you know you uh, you ice the thing and walk away, I suspect there's probably not uh, going to be any proof that you did that. And, you know, you'll survive it. So I, I obviously I would also encourage you that if you have to kill a bear, um, that you try to use the meat uh, in a useful fashion. Now, I think that's going to increase the chance that you have somebody to deal go to with catch a, you <laughs> with a wildlife uh, guy. But uh, right. again, it's nice to have, you know, like, carry a 1911 when you're in the woods. After you use up all the bullets, you can throw it at the bear. <laughs> well, 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 the thing is that where I pick trash, it, it's. Uh, like urban, sort of urban, because they have bear cans for the trash can, stuck in intermittently in the woodland where the bears can come and play with the trash, but you got to throw away your trash. People don't burn trash like they used to 100 years ago. So you will make contact with bears. I don't think black bears are dangerous, but I'm nosy because, you know, grizzlies, are, I believe, they, they're big, they're dangerous, and I believe they're, if you look, we live in a, a, a town setting where these guys are on the edge and they come over. Shouldn't you have, above all, the right to defend yourself? You should. Or a dog. Absolutely. You should be able to defend yourself. You should be able to defend your dog. I don't dog. know what the law has to say about that, however, because <laughs> a lot yeah. of times. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I would. Uh, first off, I'd I'd warn you that uh, don't bring, don't come half stepping when dealing with grizzly bears. Um, you're in Louisiana. The chances of you encountering a grizzly bear where you are is low. But um, if you are out west, I hope you already know that you need a 45 mm-hmm. in dealing with a grizzly. Yeah, 22 is just going to piss it off, right? Right. Make make it very very angry. <laughs> and, <laughs> um. You know, you want the stopping power that comes with a forty-five. At least I, I've got to say that the dog thing leaves me a little. You know, like I, I'm ambivalent on the dog. What on do you, one what hand, do I love my dog, right? What are you on just going to let the bear maul your dog and stand by and do nothing? Let's think about Harambe for a second. 
Here we have the uh, the most endangered primate on the planet, the lowland gorilla, and the most successful primate on the planet, the human being. We shot the least, uh, the, the most endangered uh, primate on the planet in favor of the least endangered. And we did? I got a, well, we the human beings. The, the lowland gorillas certainly didn't make a decision. I suspect yes. it was one person who made that decision. I can tell you none of them were a lowland mm-hmm. gorilla. Mm-hmm. We got Ricky. He's in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Go ahead, Ricky. Thank you there, Brother Ian. Brother Mark, good evening. What's on your mind? Good evening to you. Well, I had a couple comments about last night. I will tell you, I'm privileged, and I got to tell you, I'm most definitely honored. And this is something I never thought I'll probably never see again, that I was the first caller on the first night that Miss Bonnie was in the seat. No, oh, no, that I wasn't the that. first night. She's been, oh, was it? She's been in the front seat here for a few, I think two or three other times. Well, I'll tell you what, I did first to me anyway. Okay. All right, but I'll tell you what, I got to tell you, Ian. I, I looked at that three hours. I thought, uh, to my exposure of her, I thought she really did good. I agree. You know, yeah, I, I think she she's got what it takes to be an dollars. excellent host. I think she has what it well, takes to be an excellent host. I saw a whole different side of her because when she was dealing with callers, I thought that was some of the best discussions I've heard out of her since I've been here. Well, that's you very know, kind, back, uh, Ricky. And she is listening tonight, so she's heard what you uh, have had to say. What were you calling in about tonight? Well, no, I, 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 I was well, that being said, I thought she was great, and I, I'm gonna call in Wednesday. I'm looking forward. To okay. It. Anyways, uh, you know, I'm listening to what you're saying here, and you know, I know growing up, okay, and you know, things were different when I was younger, and you're close to my age, Ian, and you are around my age, Mark. You know, I see what breeds racism, and you know, when you have say, a college or a school or a store, and I see it on all sides, all colors. It could be anything. What it does is they, uh, they'll they say, oh, we only do this, we only do that. It could be blacks, it could be whites. You know, and what it does is it'll aggravate the other side of a, of a say it's a black issue, aggravate a white issue, and so on and so forth. Uh, that, oh, what about white people? What about black people? What about us? And both sides have been doing this. Uh, and, and I don't know how this can come to an end. You know, there shouldn't be, you know, you're saying it's okay to have an all-white school, an all-black school. I disagree because there's a famous black school. Maybe Mark can help me with this. I forget what it's called. There's uh, more than one. Uh, Bethune-Cookman comes to mind in Florida. There's one. Texas A&M, isn't that historically a, a black school? Florida a and you know who's on this? The girl from what's her name? Oh, what's her name? Uh, I can't remember her name. The girl is on MSNBC. The black girl. She went. I don't to know. It. I don't. I don't watch television. But anyway, the point is, what's interesting is she went to that, but she also used affirmative action to get into Harvard, and she was proud of that. You know, and I don't think. I just don't think. So you're defending kind of, affirmative action here? No, I think it was wrong. Because I thought you just said that there shouldn't be uh, all black schools in all white schools. I'm saying she used it to go into Harvard affirmative action. They were going to let her in, you know, and see what I see happening, Ian. And I noticed myself because I lost a job as a result of affirmative action. And he was a terrible worker. You know, my boss said to me, 
oh, I'll give you a good reference. You can get another job, Rick, I guess because I'm white. You know, that wasn't acceptable. I didn't do Wait anything. A second. I was a better you got fired for being white? Tell me this yeah. story. Okay. I worked at a lumber yard. And there was this kid. He was younger than me, a little younger. I was old. I had him at least five, six years on him. And it was when I was in my early 20s. And everybody called him Stymie because he looked just like uh, Stymie from the Little Rassers, put a bowler hat on him. Yep. Anyway, so I, was, I would do just about anything. You know, I did, uh, you know, I would put cans of paint up and put the, uh, the codes on it. I'd do the Joyce hangers, stack them. I'd be out in the yard, whatever. But I was there for a couple months, I don't know, two and a half months or so. And I remember I would do paint. And he'd say, oh, Rick, you got to fix the paint. It's messed up. I said, no, I didn't do it. Oh, stymie's half. I said, oh, come on. I'd have to redo it. Well, I get called into the office at one day. I'm ready to leave. And Carl says to me, I need to talk to you, Rick. I said, okay. He says, well, you know, I'm going to be straight up with you, Rick. I said, what's that? Well, you know what? Uh, it had to be one of yours. I said, what do you mean? I said, well, you can get a, another job. I said, what do you mean? Tell me. He said, I'm going to tell you. He says, well... It was either you or Stymie. He told me Stymie went to, to, to civil rights because he was going to fire Stymie. And his answer is, you could get another job. Rick. Are you I'll saying that, just, just to clarify, are you saying the other guy, Stymie, was black? And yes, yeah, Stymie's. Uh, and I lost my job. And he didn't want to fire. He didn't want to fire him because he was black, because he was worried about some sort of fallout legally from that. And he absolutely. said, absolutely, uh -huh. absolutely. And you know what? The, the, the only good news of this story is. That lumberyard closed a couple months later. <laughs> but I cried, man. I have to admit, I was a, I was an adult. I actually cried because I'm always I'm, I'm you. Know, how many times have I spoke about civil rights over the year? Hundreds and hundreds, and this happened to me. Racism isn't the kind of thing you can get rid of overnight, but you certainly shouldn't put it under a freaking grow lamp and give it mirror and give it fertilizer, right? Sure, and but that's, that's what's what they been, do all the time. That's what's been going on in American universities for decades. Is they've been giving on. fertilizer to racism. Yeah, it's going to keep going on. They're going to keep teaching. Uh, what is it? The there's a certain curriculum that people are really offended by right now. Critical uh, race. Thank you. Critical theory. race theory. They're going to well, keep teaching. Critical race this theory stuff. isn't about race as much. It's taking communist uh, thought process and replacing race with class. Okay, I don't know. I've never taken a critical race theory class. I'd always heard it has something to do with blaming the, you know, blaming the white man for all of the other people's problems or something like that. But sure, yeah, I just know. I just hear what I hear, and I don't know what the what the truth is about that. But you know, I really wouldn't care what the, the colleges do if it weren't for the what they can. if it weren't for the fact that the colleges are taking taxpayer dollars to do these things. Because if you're not taking taxpayer dollars, then you can go ahead and have your racist college if you want to. I don't care. I don't have to pay for it, right? So that's the way it ought to be. Uh, that There should be no government funding of college whatsoever. And I'm, I'm in, in, when I say no government funding, I'm also including the college loans. I don't think that the government should be giving those out either. It should all be privately done. You figure out how to get your college funded. Let the colleges compete for uh, the students that are out there. Let the prices come down, by the way, because the fact that the government, the state, the, uh, the federal gang is funding these college loans is one of the reasons why colleges can just keep on jacking up the rates. 
Because they essentially and know they can they can just raise the rates and, and keep raising the rates because they can charge anything they want to. Ultimately, even though there's supposedly competition, if they all just raise their rates like a cartel, the federal government will just keep signing the checks. They will. And it's worth pointing out that many of the top colleges, I can't say Harvard specifically, I haven't looked into this, but many of the top colleges, I know MIT has all of its curriculum online. Now, no one's going to say MIT is anything but a top tier institution. Mm -hmm. So you can now get a top tier education and have been able to do this for over a decade, get a top tier education for free. College education isn't what costs you money when it comes to college. It's brand recognition, the sheepskin, um, the networking and all the other stuff that goes into it. The education isn't what you can get the education. It's free. And that's the way it should be. Um, and people shouldn't have the value for a college degree. And fewer people have a value for a college degree these days, by the way. Uh, in the, the whole COVID situation, as that passed by and we found that people were desperate to hire. And now may, maybe that situation isn't as dire as it was a year ago. But still, I see now hiring signs everywhere. I don't know. Well, you're not in the U.S. right now, Mark. But uh, the last time you were, I don't know what it was like down south. But up here, it's just all over the place still. Uh, there's a ton of ton of people hiring, so it's like still. I think it is a uh, essentially an employee's market. They can kind of yeah. name their price. To, I think it's interesting. Extent. It seems like there are a lot of you know things I've read online suggest that a lot of people are applying in some locations for these jobs, and that basically the jobs are paying too little. I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if. Inflation is moving so quickly that people are um, saying, hey, this this paycheck isn't good enough to do this job, so I'm not going to take the job. Uh, it's possible. We've got this story here that I think ties into what we were talking about earlier with kids not being taught entrepreneurial uh, you know, spirit and drive. Uh, and the Washington Post reporting on a woman in Alabama, Crystal Johnson, and her eight-year-old son, Cameron. They happen to be black, by the way. Uh, turned their hand-painted lemonade stand into Cam's Lemonade, a full-blown business that now sells their product at grocery stores, which is amazing. Uh, Who's Cam again? Cam is her son. Cam, the son, the eight-year-old. Eight-year-old. Okay, so, yeah, uh, that's in, what I wanted to know. Yeah. In that time, the Alabama mom said she saw her shy boy come out of his shell, learn how to handle money, and turn into a budding entrepreneur. She said she wanted to impart those skills on other kids through a one-day apprenticeship on July 9th. The plan was simple. Children between the ages of 6 and 10 would send her a, quote, resume, which was a letter that they uh, explaining they wanted uh, what they wanted to be when they grew up. And Johnson would, quote, hire two of them to act as a smiler and a greeter. After a two-hour shift, a grueling two-hour shift, uh, helping to sell some freshly made lemonade, she offered to pay each of them twenty dollars. But this after, woman's a this woman is a hero. Yes, and she's going to get treated like one by the Alabama government. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Just after she promoted the apprenticeship on social media last week, she said someone complained to I'll the bet they Alabama did. Department of Labor. You know, I also feel like nobody who works for the government should be able to complain. 
You know what? If you government people who if you decided to work for this enforcement agency, you don't get to decide who complain. You don't get to be one of the complainers. Complainers must come from the citizenry. You have stepped out of the citizenry and you are now a bureaucrat and bureaucrats don't don't complain. Yeah, I like that. That's because, you know, it was. You know it was. It Good was chance. one of these bureaucrats saying, oh, this is a violation. I think their husband and wife shouldn't uh, qualify either. Like any direct family. Let's let's even exclude indirect family as well. Like, you know, mom and on uh, mom and dads and you know, people like that. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Anybody who shares same uh, last name, a, you're, you're a out. quarter DNA, a quarter percent of DNA <laughs> or uh, happens to be or through marriage. So somebody complained to the Alabama Department of Labor that she was trying to recruit young children, a violation of the state's child labor laws. She told the Washington Post, listen, I know a six-year-old doesn't have a resume, so it was never about me trying to employ. (laughs) I love how she has to explain this to the mouth-breathing dullards out there that may be like, sounds like it might be legal. You know what? Somebody, this is the kind of crap that a revolution has been thrown over. As a matter of fact, the Jasmine revolution that occurred in the Muslim countries came from a guy who was just trying to sell fruit. Mm. Yes, bureaucrats were shot, stinner of mass. They were impaled. Their heads were put on pikes over this kind of bullcrap. And that's the problem with America is we don't do that stuff anymore. There hasn't been a good tarring and feathering in a long time. Well, I don't think violence is uh, going to solve the the problem, but I do understand the frustration. You know that uh, where yeah, you're coming from. I don't think violence there. is really the solution, but that's how it was done before, mm-hmm. right? Like violence was the solution at one point. Now the government has the monopoly on violence, nearly so. And like Joe Biden said, they can drone bomb you from anywhere, and they probably will. But you can still not put up with this. No, that's true. I mean, there are things that can be done here. Now, I don't know if they can be done in Alabama or if... Well, we can talk about solutions here in a little bit. Thankfully, they haven't actually drone-bombed the lemonade stand quite yet. It hasn't gotten that bad, but they are going to threaten this woman. And that is what the Department of Labor does. They threaten people who decide they want to live free and decide they want to uh, put people to work who they claim can't possibly work. Well, that's not true. The Department of uh, Labor will absolutely let you work if you are under the age of, what was it here? He's uh, eight, this guy. Yeah, they will let eight-year-olds work. They absolutely will. A, you can work in Hollywood being a child actor. And I know that sounds really mild and everything. But how about the uh, the people you know the, that pick fruit and vegetables? There's literally eight-year-olds, and I'll bet you there were today in America, eight-year-olds picking fruits and vegetables that you will eat really yes why because they're like the son or daughter of the farm farm owners no not the son or daughter these are the uh, sons or daughters of migrant workers in many cases hey daily digestion listeners this is riley blake i enjoy free talk live and i know you do too but finding time to listen to an entire episode isn't always easy so i produce the daily digest I appreciate those of you who have supported me on Patreon and sent Bitcoin to me to thank me for producing these digests. For those who wish to support me on Patreon, visit patreon.com slash crblake86. If you wish to send Bitcoin, visit patreon.com slash crblake86 for those details. That's patreon.com slash crblake86. Thank you. 
And the protections they're talking about are going to protect these kids right out of learning life skills, learning some of the most important life skills that a young person can learn. In this case, how to smile and be nice to a customer, how to actually be welcoming into a business, showing up on time, and just generally being positive. I mean, these are basic skills that somebody who's starting their first job should understand and the state is just saying no you couldn't possibly be allowed to do this because someone might make a profit that's actually what they say here quote kids that age can volunteer for their church or other nonprofit but sure. a 6 year old cannot work for a for profit business said the state spokes bureaucrat from the department of labor adding that johnson as the sole owner of her business is free to employ her own child Quote, provided they are under her supervision and not performing hazardous duties. So it's fine. You can educate your own kids, and you certainly should if you have them into, you know, running their own business and entrepreneurial spirit and the things they need to know about those things. But if you want to help their friends learn something and maybe even make a few bucks while they're learning a thing, because that's the best way to learn is to, you know, get paid to train. Uh, nope, can't do that. Can't possibly help your neighbors. Can't possibly help your son's friends learn anything because, well, something. <laughs> I mean, what's the rationale for this? What What do they say? For the people out there who actually support these labor laws, because we're not talking about you know putting the kid in the factory and having him lose an arm in the equipment, right? Because that's the old excuse for why they need to have child labor laws. Well, it was an excuse uh, because... They didn't want kids competing with adults and driving down the cost of labor. Sure. In oh, part. Yeah. Right. The, uh, the I labor mean, I'm sure unions. there's some good reasons not to have kids working. I, I'm sure there are. I don't think that this is libertarianism's very strongest issue. But I'd like people to at least understand some of the arguments that go towards it. Um, that, in fact, you're only going to learn how to work by working. I started working That's at right. 12 years old, and it was probably legal. I don't know for sure, but it probably was because I was working for comic books at a comic book store. Mm. By the time I was 15, I'd had three years of experience, and they hired me and um, started paying me in U.S. dollars. And, um, you know, that was great. I loved that, too. Uh, I loved the comic book part, too. And then I worked there till I was 18 years old. And I am so grateful. I learned more at that job than I did at the time, you know, from going to high school. Absolutely. Uh, And I was also working at a very, very young age with my mom in in her shop in in Florida. Let's go to CW. He's in Arizona listening to KTOX. Go ahead, CW. KTOX, baby, the best radio station in the tri-state area. Welcome, sir. What's Um, on your mind? Oh, the lemonade stand. I love driving by those and just laughing at them because they're yelling, lemonade, lemonade. And that's one of the biggest, uh, one of the important things they learn is failure. They don't sell all the product. Mm-hmm. So that means they have to use it or lose it. So they got to drink their own craft that they make. What is it? Lemon flavored water. That's probably flavored. Uh, that's pretty, that's pretty mean, man. That's I mean, you don't know what, you don't know what's in their lemonade. You didn't, well, you didn't exactly, stop to ask. Do they have an ingredient list? Can I say, Hey, I want to see. I bet they do actually. I bet you could ask well, them what they put they in do, it. 
but I guarantee they're probably using crappy artificial sweeteners that are carcinogenic anyways, just because the parents want to make lemonade for... How do you? How can you I, guarantee that? You've never on. actually how, pulled wait, over wait to talk second. to them. How many of the parents do you think are uh, behind the lemonade stand that kids have out there? Oh, I think probably 95% of the parents are saying, okay, kids, let's make some lemonade so you can sell it. And then blah blah, and they use their crappy ass sweeteners. Well, That's I think that I, I got I got I got your feeling as far as sweeteners, and I tend to share. Uh, that and that's kind of what you're expecting when you get the lemonade, um, but I I'm trying to understand exactly where you're coming from, and I think this is important. Do you think the parents are sending kids out to earn money and then taking and then clawing off a piece of it because <laughs> hey we're the parents, or do you think that the parents are saying hey this is a good lesson in entrepreneurship, the Whoa, and, and, and like widely societally accepted. Like I said from the beginning, that it's a good experience to know that you're not going to sell all of your product. So, yes, it is. they will have a sense of failure. Now, do they drink the stuff themselves? When do you think the, the failure should come, though? I mean, don't you think that failure should come after success? Because I always stop whenever I see a lemonade stand every single time. And I'll usually take a sip of it and I'll take it into the car. And you're right. I don't finish it. Because I do have a real problem with the, uh, the you know, the artificial sweeteners or whatever. And it's fine by me that somebody might drive by. I don't know whether you'll be successful. I mean, in some cases, I mean, we're just talking about a pitcher of artificial lemonade here, right? Um, oh, so, yeah. you know, I mean, half a pitcher I left over. Big funny, though. I just think it's funny. Just just let them, I don't know. I, I, I don't see why they should be having to. I guess if they want to do it for fun, sure, it's a little. Well, one thing's for sure: if you run a business, there's going to be some jerk that acts like you, CW, and is rude. No, don't say that. And, don't. Say, yeah, you're don't, acting don't, like a jerk, and that's. Hey, hey, why you, wait, Ian, CW, being like that? CW, can you describe your position as anything but jerk? You guys are mean. Stop it. I'm not being mean. I asked you a question. He can dish it out, but he can't take it. I asked you to describe your position, CW. No, I'm not very successful myself. I'm a struggling plumber. I do what I can, and I fail at most of the things that I do. So I think it's a good thing that kids are failing. That's ridiculous. I think they they should be kids and not be working. They should be doing other stuff. They should be being kids. See, you're part of the you're part of the problem, CW. You're the oh, kind of person no, who thinks that these kids are. shouldn't be out on the streets Ian, doing lemonade sales, and you're trying you to discourage them, huh? Ian, stop d- it! Stop what? Stop being so mean to me! Oh, buck up! <laughs> Bye now. Conejo is on the line here in FEMA Region 13, and Conejo, you had brought up a fairly, I would say depressing conversation that happened on free talk live last week during the porcupine freedom festival with aria who is a host of this show that is currently in federal prison on an 18 month sentence for the dastardly so-called crime of selling bitcoin without government permission and so she is understandably black pilled when it comes to cryptocurrency and its future in the united states 
And, of course, she cites not only what has happened to her and the rest of the Crypto Six and other people who have sold Bitcoin and have gone and faced criminal penalties for that. She also, of course, cites the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, and their attack against various different cryptocurrency exchanges in civil court, like uh, crypto uh, or Coinbase and Binance and uh, Bittrex, and the list goes on. They're, of course, going after crypto projects like Library and Ripple and and, uh, and on and on and on. And then, of course, the CFTC, the Commodities Futures Trading Commission, with the lawsuit right now against Binance. So it definitely seems like it's a full court press against cryptocurrency in the United States. I can understand why somebody in her position would be so uh, bummed about this, especially as she's poured years of her life into seeing these things move forward only to be uh, shot down, punished, have her Bitcoin stolen from her. And then thrown in jail for uh, you know prison for eighteen months. So so I get it. But Caneo, it sounds like you are pretty optimistic. Yeah. Uh, besides that uh, decentralized exchange where you can run it on your own computer phone and uh, just hook up with local people to meet to exchange cash, gold, silver, gold backs, or check. Is this the Havino or, Dex uh, thing that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a decentralized version, decentralized protocol version of the local Monero.co. Oh, that's website, awesome! Which was basically a clone of the local Bitcoin website that closed down. Now, is the local Monero um, uh, owners involved in Haveno Dex, or is it just somebody else that's that's putting this one together? No, the local Monero people are located, I think, in uh, Scandinavia somewhere. But ah, okay. uh, the Haveno thing is. Done on in the, is being done in the U.S. by developers worldwide, but kind of spearheaded by the developers of one of the more popular wallets. Um, so you're saying they're doing this. That, some of them are based in the U.S. They should get out if they have the uh, the potential to get out of the United States. They should go ahead and grab their crypto uh, and get the hell out because it is definitely a very very scary time to be in the in the crypto industry inside the United States. Very dangerous. Uh, especially to be focusing on a privacy coin, because you're saying Havino Dex is going to be selling Monero, correct? Correct, yeah. And it is open source. It's a FLOSS, uh, free Libre open source software. So it's being developed by anonymous developers mm-hmm. around the world. Okay. Um, I just know that one of the people kind of spearheading some of the efforts, um, I, I don't know if he's U.S.-based, but he might be. Um, but besides that, there's also a uh, there are people working on a Goldbacks Monero ATM. Yeah, so basically just cutting fiat completely. Where are they so based out of? Transmitting. Uh, that was announced on the Monerotopia podcast, um, and it sounds like someone in based in Alaska is nice. kind of putting a. I know together. somebody um, here in New Hampshire has been working on a Goldback vending machine that I think would take cash. But I think your your point's really interesting to where. Uh, there would be no dollars involved. It would be people putting gold backs into a machine and like a like a, essentially a crypto vending machine and getting Monero vended out into their wallet. Is that what the proposal is? Yeah. So then there's no money transmission. Wow. Well, at least <laughs> that's your well, interpretation, yeah. uh, Conejo. I don't know <laughs> if the federal government would interpret that the same way because ultimately they are uh, you know they they're trying to take me down for so-called money transmission with regards to not the dollars, but what happened to the Bitcoin. So they're they're trying to allege that simply sending Bitcoin to somebody is so-called money transmission. Well, the, the great thing about gold, precious metals, and Monero is they're all very, they're fungible, mm-hmm. which uh, means that you can't, there's no transaction history attached to them. You can't mm. see who 
sent it, who received it, the That's amount, point. Um, the home IP address. Uh, so it's it's not like a public ledger surveillance coin like Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, that won't stop them from sending an undercover IRS agent in and having him uh, pump some gold backs into the machine to deliver Monero into a government-controlled wallet. And then uh, he goes over to the store owner and tells him he's a heroin dealer and then walks back in to buy some more uh, Monero from the machine. And if the store owner doesn't tackle him and pre- you know physically prevent him from making the purchase, they're going to call that money uh, laundering. And then he'll face up to 20 years in prison. Well, the, the good thing is the more resistance you add on their overhead, their uh, return on violence, the less they can enforce Kind of like how uh, marijuana is federal, federally illegal, but there's stores that were popping up on Main Street and the uh, uh, ATF, or excuse me, the um, Drug Enforcement Agency, their 6,000 agents couldn't play whack-and-mole fast enough to mm. close them all down. Now half the U.S. states are telling the federal government to go pound sand. Yeah, I uh, I, I think that, that that is one of the reasons why I think crypto ultimately will be successful down the, the line is that it is something that they really ultimately, at the end of the day, cannot control no matter how hard that they try. Uh, they are certainly trying to intimidate people into being afraid to use it, being afraid to run businesses surrounding it, and they may have some level of success with that. Like, I wouldn't blame anyone who says to themselves, you know what, I was going to start selling on local Monero or Havino Dex or whatever, but no, now I'm not going to do that, uh, and, and because they are afraid of what the potential penalties might be. Go ahead, Major. Hey, good evening, guys. Yes, sir. Yeah, you got. You were talking about that old girl that's getting harassed for a lemonade stand. And yeah, teaching her eight-year-old entrepreneurialship. Well, that's it right. got me to thinking about people selling vegetables and flowers and whatnot on the side of the road. Because back in the day, um, I used to have a big truck garden and I'd sell vegetables. Hmm. And uh, Mark can probably attest to this because he's raised kids, or at least one. I one day, one day, me and my son, he's about eight years old, we're out in the garden, and I don't remember if we were picking or weeding or what, but there was a big old fat toad hopping around. And I says, well, hello, Mr. Toad, good to see you. And so later on at the dinner table, Patrick asked me, he says, well, why why you, was you so happy with that toad? I says, well, they, they eat the bugs that eat our vegetables. Mm-hmm. And he says, yeah. He says, well, where do they live? I says, well, usually under rocks and logs and such, they want a place to get out of the sun. So the next morning I go out there, and 6.30 in the morning, he's collecting rocks and building little rock houses for toads out in the garden. <laughs> Cute. We, we used to do the same thing. Um, we showed Jack how you could build a little house for a toad with a uh, cracked flower pot, and he, he built little to- toad houses, and we huh. you know rewarded him in some fashion. Yeah. Did the toads use it? Did you ever see a toad come out of there? Yeah, they absolutely do use it because it's because it's um, right there next to their food source, which Mm -hmm. is to say the insects like these delicious plants that we grow as opposed to the ordinary plants that are out in the yard. Mm -hmm. And the toads are like, well, we'd like to hang out right here where the food source is. And so if you give them a little thing, place to hang out rather than having everything sort of perfect and clean, Mm -hmm. you have these little spots for them, um, then they'll they'll hang out there. Sweet. Yeah, you just you just put the toad in the grocery store is what you did. Nice. All right. <laughs> Anything else you want to share, Major? Well, years ago, because we were talking about selling stuff at the end of the road and getting in trouble for it, 
Mm-hmm. Years ago, I, I, I did auto tech in, in college when I was just a pup. So I used to, you know, if I had a few hundred dollars scraped together and saw something that was worthwhile but broke, I'd drag it home and fix it, right? Well, I about got in trouble because if you flip more than three vehicles in your name in one year, you uh, got to have a deal. Yeah. Oh, boy. So luckily I got a prize to this before I had flipped my third vehicle one year. And uh, what I'd do is I'd just leave it in the name, the title name of whoever I bought it off of and fix it and put it out and then flip it. And my name never got involved in the title. Nice. Yeah, that's the little trick and uh, just another reason why these uh, rules are sort of stupid. Um, obviously, it's obvious that some dealer had an in here, you know, like, oh, well, they're going to have to get a dealer's license. You know, just your average mechanic can't uh, can't do this. And it's just a just one more way that, you know, the protection racket for the uh, people who got the license. That's exactly what it is. We're back with Skeeter in California. You were asking a question. Uh, we had to run into that uh, news break there. So if you could just re-ask it, I'd appreciate it. In terms of, like, uh, self-ownership, as far as, the, as far as children are concerned in uh, the libertarian work uh, of principles, you know, principles like uh, what if the parents want to induce, like, hard 18-hour work, like picking grapes, like Mark said, or even prostitution. Okay. Your cell phone's kind of breaking up a little bit there. Mark, did you want to respond? Yeah, sure. I'll jump in on this. Um, So I guess the question is, is if you libertarians were in charge, what would happen with child labor isn't this exploitation or something uh, something like that you know and it's a great question and thank you for asking it skeeter i do appreciate that uh, i think we have the answer already currently to my knowledge it is completely legal for you to employ a child of any age picking fruit in the united states now this is by all standards that's hard labor. Yeah, That's hard, sure. hard labor. So hard, in fact, that Georgia, about 10 years ago, outlawed, you know, did its best to outlaw migrant work, um, people who were, you know, illegal by some standard or another. And we're going to employ convicts to do that same labor. The convicts revolted and said, take me back to prison <laughs> before right. I do this job. So picking fruit hard labor but we have kids doing it currently so we know Mm -hmm. the amount of people um, that will do it at least approximately in so much as people who are poor and in close proximity to farms will probably bring their kids out with them to show them how to do this Mm -hmm. and expect them to do a certain amount it is unlikely that they expect the same amount of labor from uh, you know the six-year-old as they do from dad but they probably do expect some amount of labor. And so far, Western civilization hasn't cracked in half. Yeah, I tend to. And I mean, you know, like if it was legal to have kids in mines, because the mines are completely unionized and there's no way that that would ever happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, The union jobs hate child labor because they They work cheap. Right. (laughs) Right? Um, But we know how it would work. It is if people were sufficiently poor, in a and sufficiently close to a mine, some of those kids would go in there and work and have those jobs. Now, what happens to them otherwise? Well, I don't know. They go, uh, they, they they go get into the uh, 
the school to prison pipeline in their local community and end up in the the joint instead. Um, you know, I mean, society doesn't have a lot of good options for poor kids. You kind of have to make a decision early on or have your parents make a decision early on. Does that answer your question, Skeeter? Uh, well, I wanted to, to weigh in on, on it as well, because I, I agree. And I think that when it comes to jobs that are particularly offensive, he mentioned child prostitution there in his uh, his question as well. I think that most people wouldn't stand for that. You know, if that was going on in a community, oh, yeah. uh, there would be people who would come in there and they would literally kidnap those children away. And then if the parents were mad about having their kids kidnapped from them, uh, they would likely find zero support in the community on the side, right? I mean, let's so, be serious. Yeah. Somebody's going to yeah. walk in there with a, with, uh, there's going to be three guys walk in with automatic weapons. They're going to put everybody on the freaking wall. They're going to take the kids out of there. going to shoot all the people. <laughs> that could That's be how it's going to go. Yeah. I mean, that might I be mean, baseball bats, you know, you know, you never know what the weapon's going to be, but, yeah. uh, something, the community isn't going to, isn't going to stand for it. And that could end up being the case with, uh, certain types of hard labor as well. You know, if, if the people in the community don't think it's uh, an okay thing to have the kids down in the coal mine, you may have a rescue squad that comes in and, and takes those kids out of there and how that all ends up shaking out, I think is up to the, the market to decide. Uh, according to the Washington Post, she said the inspector told her that selling lemonade during the event would mean her business could profit from a child working, even if the children were mainly going to be greeting people and learning about customer service. So she agreed to call it off. She says, my heart was in the right place about this. In just one year, Cameron, her son's self-esteem and confidence have grown enormously, said his mom, Ms. Johnson. She's, uh, he is the face of the company, and helping his mom calculate the change that he has to return to customers has turned him into a bit of a math whiz. Yet her greatest pride is spending quality time with her son, quote, teaching him what's right and making it look fun at the same time, she said. Cameron's favorite part about helping run the lemonade business is talking to people about it, he said, according to Cameron. A full-time respiratory therapist working the night shift, Johnson said she'd never imagined running what is now a one-person operation, squeezing lemons, bottling juice, packing hundreds of bottles into coolers, and transporting them to markets and events across Alabama. It was the product of serendipity, and more specifically of her son, asking if they could visit Disney World. She said, hey, let's get you out here so you can see that money doesn't just grow on trees, she said at the time in her Mother's driveway, Johnson propped up a stand she'd crafted out of four wooden crates that she painted blue, decorating it with flowers and lemons. Cameron, then seven at the time, helped serve lemonade and raised a uh, sign advertising the drink for $2 a cup. At that time, the lemonade came out of a bottle that Johnson bought in the supermarket, but everything changed once a local reporter arrived and Johnson had run out of lemonade on hand. She said, I literally went into the house and whipped up some lemonade, came back out, gave her the homemade stuff, and she said, man, it's the best lemonade I've ever had. And that's when I realized I should be selling this recipe. The recipe for the pink lemonade is a secret she won't reveal, but she said it quickly became a sellout. The inventory would run out. I bet within... there's lemons and sugar and water. I hope so. <laughs> uh, our caller earlier was suggesting it must be artificially sweetened, and I don't know about that. I mean, when I think of lemonade, I think the old style, like you're you're describing. Uh, anyway, the inventory would run out within 30 minutes whenever she advertised on social media that she'd made a batch, and nowadays her lemonade, since expanded to 10 flavors, can be found in local restaurants and small grocery stores. And next month, the drink will hit store shelves in the Piggly Wiggly supermarkets. Oh, yeah. That's big. That's the big time. Big time. The it Piggly is the Wiggly. Time, yeah. 
uh, across Alabama's Jefferson and Walker counties. She said she's got bigger plans for the business and hoping to sell her products in Walmart and Target, get a food truck, and gain a business sponsor or mentor along the way. She's also planning to take Cameron to Disney World by the end of the year. But before that, Johnson is intent on making sure other children have a chance to learn about business. Though the apprenticeship was canceled due to the government threats, as we discussed earlier, she said she's still looking to organize an event where lemonade will not be sold. She says it'll be like a kid job fair or a workshop. I'm going to teach them the same skills that I was going to try to teach them, but I'm not going to profit from selling lemonade. So that's where the problem comes in. You can't possibly make any money involving kids in business. But you can have the kids sell the lemonade as long as there's no profit involved, apparently. That's totally fine. The kids can be out in the hot sun selling the lemonade just as long as no one goes home at the end of the day with any money in their pocket. <laughs> right. That's work, where the work their butts right. off, just don't pay them. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely outrageous. But that's what you know, that's the that's the lesson the government is trying to teach these kids here is that profit is bad. You shouldn't be in business for yourself because we're going to ruin it for you. They're going to come in there with all their stupid rules and all their mandates, and they're going to make your business unprofitable if you try to do anything at all that's fun and that's rewarding and that helps uh, helps the community and puts some money in your pocket at the same time, which is what a good business you know, is. It's something that, that you enjoy doing. Uh, and it's something that helps people, you know, whether it be a service or a product, it uh, it fills a need that the customers have and you can make you can make money off of it. But they don't want these kids to learn that stuff, though. The Labor Department complaint was heartbreaking. Johnson said it did come with a silver lining, which was the flood of support from across the country and tons of inquiries about shipping lemonade. She says it's been incredible. It is literally taking lemons and turning them into lemonade. So I am glad to hear that that aspect of the story, uh, you know, that is not over for her business and her son, who I'm sure is going to be involved, you know, all the way through this. I imagine he's going to be taking the reins of this when uh, when the time comes, when he's ready to be the CEO of of his own lemonade con- uh, company. And by that time, as you know, as we pointed out here, it's going into Piggly Wiggly in uh, the coming months. I mean, to be able to be a eight-year-old boy and to be witness to seeing all of these things growing in this business around you and, and learning it from the inside out, I mean, that is just an absolutely invaluable experience. So he's very, very lucky uh, to, to have a, a mom this good. I, th- I think you're right, Mark, Mark, to call her a hero earlier for I, sure i amended that to heroin yeah well whatever i mean that that, that word's kind of got a, a different meaning in certain contexts but yes i uh, i'm a traditionalist she's a heroin <laughs> you just heard highlights from the latest episode of free talk live you can download full episodes subscribe to our podcast listen live and more all for free at freetalklive.com